All right, back on Money Talk. Time to uh, get into it with our guests. Uh, first, we're talking to a man who's going to be the captain of our plane today, Andrew Sully Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense. Good morning. Anybody ever call you Sully? Um, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, right after, right after they've seen the movie for about 15 minutes? Yeah, maybe not, I don't know. Maybe not. We're also joined today by Ben Emmons, who is the Principal and Senior Portfolio Manager at New Edge Wealth. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Andrew. Great to be back. Hey, good to have you guys on. Uh, so, guys, what's your what's your take on what's happening on? Uh, you know, I led with this this uh, this fact that uh, IPOs seem to be back in business, but most of the action is happening in Asia. Uh, I mean, can you guys give us a little color on what's happening here and what we can expect looking forward? Andrew, you want to take a kick at that? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got to consider the fact that you know companies are coming out of the zero COVID thing. You know, they'll wait; they want to wait to see what earnings are like to be you know, before pricing, um, and that's going to be one of the big restrictions. But I mean, during COVID, I mean, it was the inability of companies to really go on marketing trips or investors to do due diligence. True, true. I mean, so, so they're, they're, com- they're, they're coming back. And I mean, but it seems like all the, all the action, not all the action, but the vast majority of the actions in Asia, uh, 70% of all IP- of the value of the IPOs, uh, you know, a little bit in Europe and then everybody, you know, the US and kind of everybody's off the map. Ben, Ben, what's going on in the US? Why the dearth of uh, IPOs? Why are they not coming back in March, April at the same rate that they are in Asia? I think that the regional banking crisis played a major role. You know, as you know, the Silicon Valley uh, bank crisis uh, essentially shut down the markets in, in, in March as the IPO market had already not been very vibrant as it, as it was from last year. So I think it is somewhat of a continuation, although the last sort of week or so, uh, some of this is kind of is easing as, as people have less fears about the banking crisis continuing here or in some form or fashion. So I would expect that IPOs will pick up a little bit again, but we are still in an environment where also the Federal Reserve wants to continue to raise rates, and that, that does influence the IPO market quite a bit. I mean, if, if, every, if we get the point to, if we get the 25 basis point raise that everybody seems to be expecting in, in the first week of May, uh, I mean, will that kind of settle people? They think they know at this point what's coming, you know, expectations confirmed. Will that give them more confidence, maybe clearing up the wreckage of the Silicon Valley Bank? Will, will those things lead to more confidence and maybe more IPOs in the U.S. over the next few months? That's very well possible. Um, because the market has sort of decided on that May is then this rate hike, likely. But then anything after that is quite unclear. And that has a lot to do with how did the Silicon Valley Bank crisis impact the economy. Many people believe that it is affecting it through the commercial real estate market and through just generally lending and credit that is declining and deposits getting out, continue to move out of the banking system. So as then the Federal Reserve moves to this presumptive pause, it does lend to, let's say, a risk-on environment, ironically, to markets like IPOs or or even like um, you know, more speculative areas like crypto or SPACs, if you will. And so I think to some extent that could happen, but I don't think it's will revisit what we saw in 2021, for example. Not a lot of opportunities there. I mean, Andrew, what about what about the rest of the world? Is Europe, like I said, Europe had a little bit of the action, but a fraction think, of Asians. Yeah, I think there's still a, you know, we're still wondering about whether there's going to be a recession and how that's going to affect companies. There's a lot of tension again about uh, you know trade with China uh, and Biden coming out with this new executive order to limit American investments. So there's a lot of overhangs over the market there. I think. 
Hmm. I, that being said, I mean, S&P companies in particular have been widely beating expectations. They've been, they've been uh, showing up. It's earnings season. They've been reporting better than expected results. Uh, some of them have gotten a boost from that. Most. Uh, have we maybe been a little too pessimistic? Well, I think a lot of those valuations were reduced before the earnings came out. And I mean, this week we get some of the big tech companies in the States um, giving results, and they were major drivers of the markets in the first couple of months of this year. So it'll be really interesting to see how their performance is holding up. Could, could, these, could these improved earnings actually be, uh, you know, kind of, kind of uh, detrimental in that maybe they might prompt the Fed to give a higher than, you know, the 25 basis points that everybody's expecting? Well, I think the Fed's going to be you know, more worried about the economic conditions. You know, the, the fact that companies are managing to, uh, you know, to withstand the, uh, the higher interest rates that they've seen so far isn't going to be a huge impact for them. Uh, they're looking for more about you know, focusing on the inflation elements of it. Right. Ben, what do you think? Uh, higher, uh, you know, great results, uh, resilient American consumer. Is that going to prompt the Fed to be a little more aggressive than people are expecting right now? Well, yeah, to what Andrew says, like, you know, Friday we have the core PCE data out, and everybody will be watching what the services uh, PCE will, will be, you know, will it be, again, higher, because if that's the case, then that does indicate that the, that the consumer is just really resilient, and that you have to reconsider, you know, further rate hikes if, if inflation just doesn't cool off, and... There were Fed speakers out the other day, like, for example, Waller, that expressed his impatience with inflation. It wasn't coming down quick enough in his view. And why? And they may have to do more. But the market is uncertain about that, though. You know, they've priced in that rate hike for May for about 85 85% probability. But they are quite uncertain if actually the Fed can continue because of this banking crisis still lingering out there. And generally, economic uh, environments being very sluggish. Mm. And I think you've still got to you know, realise that you know, the commercial overhang, commercial you know, office property in the US is a big overhang on those banks. So that's going to be another limiting factor, I think. So you're, you're keeping an eye on when you talk about their <clears throat> lending for commercial property purchases or... Yeah, I mean, that's still going to be an issue in, in the US. Okay, and where, where do you think the most weakness is? I'm thinking of the uh, the Blackstone defaulting on its commercial properties in Arizona. I think. I mean, but how is that going to manifest itself? Well, I think it's you know it's uh, always the the factor that the, the prime grade A offices in the in the major cities will probably you know stand up best. You may see rents declining, but people still want to be there. It'll be in the in the second tier, third tier, and and the you know, not so good office properties. That's going to be the risks. Ben, what's your take on that? You're, little, you're quite close to that market. Yeah, if, if, so for example, last week in, in earnings, um, you know, Wells Fargo reported that its non-performing commercial real estate loans had jumped by almost 50% Oof. since December. So that's a major change, right? And, and they are quite active in that space. Also, you know, Morgan Stanley was indicating that, that that commercial property was deteriorating. And so there is stresses building in, in that in that area, as Andrew says. Like it is a really large market, and, um, and you know you talk about several trillion. And so we really are dealing with an overhang, as Andrew says, and, and it's not clear you know how that's going to unfold for me. Other than that, if the general economic climate continues to deteriorate, there will be defaults in commercial real estate. That will put a lot of pressure on on commercial banks and regional banks because they would have to build up more capital, more reserves 
to offset those losses, and that will that will you know, really slow down lending and credit in the, in the United States. And uh, you know, with, with this week, sorry, I made a reference earlier to uh, there's Blackstone. In particular, I just looked it up. Blackstone confirmed Blackstone that it's been defaulting on on properties. Obviously, they've got the money, um, but it seems to be more of a tactical default. I mean, are, are banks expecting people to be defaulting because they don't have the money, or because they're they think it's a business tactic? Well, most people will default because they don't have the money. At the end of the day, I mean, Blackstone's unusual in so much as it's a large property fund. But, you know, if you get to the stage where, the, you know, the building's unlet or, uh, you know, the tenants aren't paying the rent, then a lot of t- the cases, you know, they've got no other option. Yep. Ben, are you uh, – so looking at this in particular, we've got First Republic is going to be reporting results today uh, North America time. I'm sure we'll be talking about it on the show tomorrow. What are you expecting on that front? Do you think that, that you know, kind of the, the, uh, the wreckage of First Republic and, I guess, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, is that – uh, is that is that pretty much cleaned up, or are you still expecting there to be repro- you know kind of continuing ripples of that spreading out across the American banking pond to stretch the metaphor? Yeah, yeah, there are ripples. Um, you know, in fact, the uh, the um, citizens for Citizens Bank reported uh, in an interview with the Financial Times that they continue to see deposit outflows from Silicon Valley Bank, uh, so that's still winding down. And then yes, tomorrow is First Republic. And the reason why that's so important is because the, the, the major banks here have provided uh, support to First Republic right, in terms of, of up to $30 billion of, of basically access deposits that they got in. They use it as capital for, for First Republic. And now it's a question, you know, what was the real damage there? A lot of, a lot of analysis out on it. Um, it's, it's a story about very well-to-do uh, clients, right? Well, well-to-do customers that, that are not like subprime borrowers, fortunately, but nonetheless, there was a significant outflow of deposits there too, and not clear what the extent of that is and how long that's going to continue, because it could still lead to a, a receivership situation, uh, and therefore people are, are quite keen. So this is actually a very big event tomorrow in the U.S., the, the Ernest First Republic, because it will give us the real picture of, of the extent of the, of the regional banking crisis. Okay. Andrew, have you got your eye on that one as well? Well, only in so much as it's, you know, it's, as, as Ben's saying there, it's going to give you a better feel for how the, uh, the other regional banks are holding up. Mm. Guys, another, another bank that's reporting uh, in, in a completely different part of the world, maybe a little bit uh, neglected, was ICICI Bank, uh, one of the, the heavy of heavies among Indian banks. Uh, earnings up 30%, shares going up. I mean, you know, everybody's looking at the U.S., but I mean, I think India maybe gets overlooked a little bit. Are, are you guys looking more to India for investment targets or, you know, ETFs that are trading in the Indian markets? Or, or do you guys have your eye on that? Because, I mean, if ICI is a, is a bellwether for all of India, uh, looking pretty good. I think India is looking much better, um, obviously, because of China. A lot of supply chains are looking for alternatives, and India seems to be a prime one there, especially with you know Apple and Honhai moving in. Um, uh, it's it's certainly moving up people's uh, radar screens. Are they are they are they boosting percentages of their portfolios? You know, when, uh, well, India is not straightforward. I mean, it, it still has a lot of issues. I mean, employment laws have still got to be changed in a number of states. Um, and, you know, the, the workforce isn't educated to the same extent that the uh, the Chinese one has been, especially, you know, in the um, in the female element of the population there. So, you know, it's it's got great potential. Mm-hmm. But we've still got to see you know, the Indian government continuing the the spending that it's been doing on infrastructure and certainly on education. 
Ben, is anybody in your, your part of the planet uh, looking at India? Are they starting to add, you know, big Indian companies to their portfolio, trading the stock exchange there? What I mean, is that is that something we should be looking at more on the show? Yeah, it's interesting how India, um, you know, if you look at the MSCI, India ETF has actually underperformed China as year to date, uh, maybe because of inflation and, and, and interest rate policy. That, that's going to be one reason. Um, you know, it, it plays a big role in the emerging market uh, index, specifically in the fixed income uh, index. So, but accessing India as a, as a market in itself, as you know, we have capital controls. It's not a, the most liquid currency. And so it's not like a major, major focus. I think it's more the story about the, the, the Asian reopening, so to speak, which, which is not really driven by China. India plays actually a big role there. I, I read the other day that India has also overtaken China in terms of economic you know, activity, so to speak. It's grown faster. Right? Uh, uh, so that, that's, I think those are interesting backdrops here. If you look at India as a, as an, as a new opportunity, since it essentially has lagged China at least year to date to the performance of, uh, of, of the MSCI index. Yeah, that does sound like uh, China many years ago. People said, yeah, it looks good. It's interesting, but it's underdeveloped. Okay. The market's hard to access. Um, but of course, I guess for people that were willing to figure out how to access that market and get in early, some of them made a lot of money. Uh, so that's great. Thank you very much, you guys. Uh, great start to the week with Andrew Sullivan, the founder of Asian Market Sense, and Ben Emmons, who is the principal and senior portfolio manager at New Edge Wealth.